What is up, ambitious listeners? Big episode this week. I sat down with NASCAR's resident insider, Bob Pockrass, for a cool conversation. We talked about some of the top dogs in the sport, some of the underrated and overrated guys early, some of the rivalries, some of the action, but we are a couple weeks dated back, so there's no talk about everything with Bubba Wallace and the new situation at Talladega, no talk about some of the recent races, but this was after the Auto Club race, if you need a timetable, but it was a cool conversation, worth the airing of, and Bob is an incredible human. And I'm excited to see what he does in his career because he's been a huge fixture in the NASCAR community for the longest time. And as the sport grows, his profile and persona is only going to grow. And I'm excited to see what's next for him. And he's a guy I've looked up to in NASCAR reporting. So really cool conversation with him after a quick word from our sponsor, Anchor. Yo, what is up? Welcome to Ambitious. My name is Dylan Price. Today's guest is the insider of NASCAR, one of the top NASCAR writers in the game. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the show, Bob Pockrass. Bob, how's it going? It's going great, Dylan. How you doing? I'm doing good, so thanks for coming on. And first, I want to talk a little bit about where you got, or how you got to where you are, and then talk a little bit about some NASCAR. Sound good to you? Sounds great. So, really, how did it start? What made you want to be a NASCAR writer? Well, I mean, I think I, I mean I was a sports writer, and uh, my first job out of college was at the Daytona Beach newspaper. And uh, I grew up in Indianapolis, so I knew a little bit about racing, but not a ton about NASCAR. Uh, back in 1991, when I moved to Daytona Beach area to go work for the Daytona Beach News Journal. And I spent 12 years there uh, covering a lot of high schools and colleges. And, you know, if you're in Daytona, you're going to cover cover a lot of NASCAR, too, right, even if it's not your, your main assignment. So learned a lot about NASCAR there. And then um, after spending, I said, a dozen years there, I went to a magazine called NASCAR Scene, which was a weekly magazine. And, you know, and then they started a website and kind of went from there to uh, the Sporting News uh, to ESPN and then to Fox. Now, were you always a NASCAR fan, or did you just kind of take it in order to get the opportunity to keep writing about sports? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I I grew up around racing in Indianapolis, so I mean, I knew IndyCar. I didn't know a whole lot about NASCAR, except from what I saw in Days of Thunder, you know, when I moved <laughs> in 1991 to Daytona. But, you know, you learned about NASCAR, and so I would say... Uh, you know, most of my following of NASCAR has been from a journalistic sense. You know, I certainly enjoy the speed and I enjoy the I enjoy the drama and I enjoy the you know the story line of the sport. You know, you can't. It's a hard to predict sport, and it's a sport that has so many different elements. So you have a mechanical element, and then you have the personality element. And you know, it, we we it's hard to write about strategies in NASCAR in a lot of ways in the sense that. You know, we can't write a whole lot about why cars go fast. I can't interview an engine. <laughs> I can't interview a set of tires. I can't interview a suspension piece. But, you know, we can certainly write about, you know, which drivers are doing good, which drivers in a certain team are doing good as far as comparing them, and then which drivers uh, dislike each other and might uh, have a good rivalry going. Now, 
as the sport has kind of, you know, for a little bit there, it seemed like it was a little rocky. And now in the midst of a pandemic, NASCAR has come out looking like one of the top sports. They got everything figured out pretty early and have a pretty good plan with everything. Can you kind of dive into my listeners who aren't really familiar with how NASCAR operates, how they're handling the COVID pandemic and how it's kind of taken them and given them a ratings boost overall? Yeah, so the, the way NASCAR works is that, uh, is that the teams get most of their money. They get about 70% of their funding from sponsorship and then about 30% of their money from racing and races. At least that's what, kind of what the big teams do. And if you don't race, you don't get money for racing. The, 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 that, those payments, the TV money is not paid until you actually race. The purse money is not paid until you actually race. And a lot of sponsors weren't, weren't going to pay teams if they if there was no cars on the track, if they weren't getting TV time, you know, if they... So, what occurred is that NASCAR, you know, their economic foundation of the sport, you know, requires them to race. And so that would kind of created this urgency for NASCAR to come up with a plan to uh, to, to have races or else their teams were, you know, there were, there, there were teams that were afraid they were going to have to fold. You know, several had pay cuts, there were furloughs, but, you know, but they they all knew that they had to get back to racing. So NASCAR has has developed a system. They, they're not really doing much practicing or qualifying because that would require teams to bring extra cars. But they are screening all the drivers and crew members before they come into the track with a temperature check. They're not doing COVID-19 testing. They're just making sure that uh, that you don't have a temperature, and if you do, then you have to go to a second. You have to go meet with some doctors at the track to see if they will uh, let you in and participate. And that what they've been trying to do is have drivers come in, go through that check, go to their motorhome, get dressed, and go to their race car. There's no mingling among the, the driver and the crew members for all that much. Uh, there's no mingling among crew members from various teams. You know, they're all trying to keep them all separate so that if someone does come down with the virus that uh, that they can uh, that that is it won't be spread uh, throughout throughout the garage now one thing which i touched on a little bit a second ago but nascar has seen whether it be you know the wednesday thursday night you know middle of the week races or whether it be sundays like they normally run they've seen a significant ratings jump can you kind of dive into how it's kind of improved you know the way people look at nascar as a whole and really how the ratings have jumped in the past few weeks yeah so you know the, the first race back had over six million viewers <clears throat> you know one of the top uh, most viewed races uh, beyond the Daytona 500 in, in several years. And, uh, you know, this last weekend's race at Bristol was a 4% uh, jump in viewership. So I think uh, what you're seeing is that you're seeing people who uh, obviously, you know, want, want to see the sport, who, who've missed the sport over the 10 weeks that there were that there were no races. And, you know, quite frankly, there's probably a little bit of a gambling element, too. You know? <laughs> I can tell you from my uh, my social media feeds that, uh, you know, that there are people who are watching the sport who are kind of becoming fans of the sport. But one of the reasons they are is because, you know, you can bet on the sport. And, and so they're trying to learn to become, uh, I guess, I guess to, to make money or... Uh, or lose less money, <laughs> for lack of a better term. But I think that's also pushed a little bit of uh, of the ratings into the interest. You know, people uh, people who do like to gamble uh, have nothing else to gamble on right now, or have very few things to gamble on other than NASCAR. 
Now, one thing that's been unique, as you touched on before, about the pandemic and how they've handled things is they're wearing masks for everything. They're wearing masks in Victory Lane. They're wearing masks for interactions of any kind. And the funniest thing really to me the other day was watching Chase and Logano get out of their car visibly angry and as Logano was at Chase for wrecking him inadvertently. And they had to wait to put their masks on, get themselves all oriented with that before they could have a conversation, whereas in the past it would be like, get out of their car and go at it. And it's kind of interesting, that new dynamic that NASCAR's had to deal with with the pandemic, with races that have been between Elliott and Logano and Elliott and Bush, there's been a little bit of intensity on the track and off the track recently. Can you kind of dive into what the rivalries have kind of been like and how NASCAR has been able to kind of handle them staying clear of each other and preventing, you know, fisticuffs or just, you know, getting too close without masks? Yeah, so, uh, you know, it, it, obviously you had that Chase Elliott mad at Kyle Busch there at Darlington. You had Chase uh, Logano mad at Chase Elliott at uh, at uh, Bristol. Um, you know, uh, I think uh, <laughs> there have been a few others uh, with, with drivers unhappy. But, uh, you know, they, it, it is a little bit weird to, to see them. You, you can't tell their expressions very much as they uh, – but behind their masks, uh, you know, I, I don't know what would happen if they start having fisticuffs. Maybe NASCAR let them do it for a little bit, just uh, just for the show. Uh, they are letting you know people talk to each other after races with masks on, you know, and, and have that conversation. I think you know it's, it's a sport. It's it's uh, it's about emotion. So they 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 you know they're in a spot where they don't want to not have that emotion shown. But they also know that um, that that people can be asymptomatic. They're not testing for COVID, you know. So it, it's a it's a they feel like those masks the masks are necessary in case there is an asymptomatic person in the garage, and uh, you know they don't want they don't want that spread. So it's uh, yeah it. it Again, I don't know what they would do if somebody started fighting, but um, you know they, they certainly want them to have their masks their masks on if they're going to have a conversation. Now, transitioning away from that a little bit to more of the on track talk. This past few races post-quarantine and even before quarantine, it seems like NASCAR has been very intense this year. It's been very good racing, especially the past few weeks. It's been hard racing and very, you know, you can't just turn off the TV and expect like, oh, Kyle Busch isn't going to lead the whole race. He's obviously going to dominate the rest of it, where it's been like that in the past a little bit more. But really post-quarantine, it's been a kind of reinvigorated racing. It's been intense. It's been entertaining. And as some of these guys have separated themselves, being, you know, Harvick, Logano, Kozlowski, Elliott, Busch, who is kind of striking you right now as a guy or a couple guys that have already emerged early in the season before and after quarantine as guys who could be championship contenders this year? Well, I mean, I think it, you, you look at guys like uh, Harvick and Kislowski and Logano and Hamlet. You know, all those guys have, have won races and, uh, and are veterans. And the question is, is, will any of these young drivers who've won races uh, like a Bowman or a Chase Elliott, will they make it to the you know to the championship round? We talk about them every year, all year, and yet still ends up being the experienced drivers who end up in the championship round. So a lot of it is a, is wait and see. But I think you know you you look at Bowman, you look at Chase Elliott. 
They have this new uh, Chevrolet body, which seems to have helped them this year, and uh, and they seem to be pretty strong and to be the potential uh, contenders for for the championship at, at Phoenix. I, I think what's got, what's happened, in the, you know, early in the season, you had this the string of races where. Uh, you know, the top five was different virtually in every race. And so you had a lot of uh, lot of parity. And now I think you're starting to see some drivers start to kind of separate themselves uh, in, the, in, the, in the points. And, you know, like, a guy like Harvick has been consistent all the way through. But, you know, Keselowski, who was ninth in the first five races, or first four races, he's been second in the last five. A guy like Truex, 15th in the first four, he's been third in the last five. So you're starting to see the, the, guy, the names that you're, you're used to seeing up front. What has happened, though, especially with no practice, is that drivers are making a lot of mistakes. And I don't know, uh, Jimmy Johnson told me they've just been good at, uh, at fooling us all along, <laughs> <laughs> that, uh, that they haven't uh, made as many mistakes as in the past. But it just looks like the guys are, you know, there's a lot less give and take. And a lot, it just seems that uh, people tend to pick or you know, on the ship a little bit more, and, uh, and and that creates mistakes, which is great to see because mistakes make for good racing. <laughs> now, looking ahead to this off season for NASCAR, it's expected to be a pretty big one. With Jimmy Johnson leaving the forty eight as one of the greatest all time steps away, he's leaving a void at Hendrick that's got to be filled by somebody, whether it be an Xfinity guy, whether it be a current veteran, who have you kind of been hearing could be the favorite for that, and how has everything with Larson changed with Larson could have been a guy who was a favorite for that? I certainly think Larson was a candidate for that, uh, although I think a lot more people uh, kind of felt like he would end up either at Gibbs or Stuart Haas racing. I, I think that that, if you ask me who's the top candidate for that ride, Right now, I would still say Eric Jones. Uh, you know, you talk about a guy who's, who's won some races. Uh, you know, he's uh, he, he's consistent, uh, you know, top 10, 15 driver. But he's kind of in that fourth car at, at, the, at, at Gibbs in a lot of ways. And, you know, would uh, Hendrick be willing to, uh, to take him? You know, last year, Jones signed a one-year deal. Partly because Gibbs is like, well, do we really want to sign him long term when we have Christopher Bell? And Jones thinking, well, you know, if I really run well, maybe I can get either a better contract here at Gibbs or one of these top rides that's going to open up somewhere else. So I, I would say Jones, to me, is still kind of the the, the person in, in play there for the 48. And, you know, and the, the question is whether he uh, – he, uh, opts to, you know, whether whether he can come to agreement with Gibbs or whether he goes to Hendrick. I think if you're looking for a dark horse, I think the question is, you know, would a guy like Reddick, uh, you know, his first year at RCR, could he be bought out and, and brought to Hendrick probably if Rick, if Rick really wanted him and he's looking very aggressive? And, uh, you know, I, I think uh, he might be somebody who, uh, who Rick will look at if he keeps on running, um, running well. One guy that in everything that I've looked at as um, doing a little bit of NASCAR reporting for Empire Sports Media now and looking just at kind of stuff you're saying and stuff like the pulse around the sport has been stuff with potentially Kozlowski at Penske. Do you see Kozlowski as a guy heading 
to Hendrick as a favorite. He's been somebody that I've thought could be a favorite for that spot. But do you think that's too far fetched and that you think that Penske is set with him, Blaney, and Logano for long term? Uh, well, I, I don't know that he, Penske is set, but I just don't know that, you know, uh, Keselowski's in a tough spot because, you know, he's won two races. He, he's good to win two to three races a year at least and be in the championship conversation, which means he can demand some coin, right? And, the question is, is who has the sponsorship to pay for that? And now, granted, the 48 with 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 a full season sponsor and ally, but and you know, leaving Jimmy Johnson, Jimmy Johnson retiring, you would think they they might have some, but I just don't know that Keslowski is the fit that that Hendrick is looking for. You know, Keslowski is opinionated. He's he's said some things about Hendrick teams in the past that that haven't you know gone over very well. Um, so. I'm not positive that he is oh, – I, I just don't think he's the leader of, as far as getting in the 48. I think if Penske can find the funding and and be comfortable with what he's paying Keselowski, Keselowski will stay. But, you know, Ryan Newman won the Daytona 500 one year and was out going over to Stuart Haas Racing the next. And I wouldn't put it past uh, something like that happening with Brad. You know, I could see him, you know, if Ford wanted to keep him, could they convince Stuart Haas Racing to take him? Maybe. You know, it's uh, it's an interesting time right now for for Keselowski. He's he's kind of in a little bit of a position that Kenseth was in when uh, Gibbs was replacing him with Eric Jones, right? You know, Kenseth still was running well, but he didn't have a place where he felt they felt could pay him what he felt he was worth, and and then put him in cars that he felt uh, he felt good racing. And I think Keselowski. I think Keselowski will have a ride next year. I think it, something will happen, and I think the fact of, you know, Kyle Larson, you know, probably his only main potential ride would be with uh, with Stuart Haas. If, if they'd be willing, they're probably the only ones willing to take that risk with Larson at the moment. That could help Keselowski, but, um, you know, it's still it, – I, I could see this dragging out for a little bit even though he probably would like to get it uh, done sooner than later. Now, you just mentioned the Larson thing and how where could he go because of, obviously, the situation that happened with him. And what has been your feel about how NASCAR has handled that and if they would allow him to sign with the team? And why could Stuart Haas be a fit with everything with maybe Boyer potentially leaving or them swapping cars around again? What do you feel the pulse is at Stuart Haas, and what is the pulse around Larson within NASCAR? Yeah, so I think, you know, he's, he's missed four, what, five races already. So mm-hmm. I think I think once he applies and says, I want to be reinstated, he'd be allowed back in. You know, NASCAR typically has made people miss a couple of weeks. So I think... I think once he finds a team, he'd be allowed back in. Um, I think Stuart Haas, obviously Gene Haas has shown that he cares about winning. And, you know, so uh, he, if he wants to put him in the 41 and then maybe, you know, potentially move Custer to one of the other cars, yeah, I think that's a possibility. Uh, you know, it's Boyer's contract is up this year. Amarola is up this year. Smithfield is up this year. As, as far as Amarola's sponsors, so still a lot to be determined there. But um, you know, it's, you know, look, uh, Gene Haas wants to find the next Kevin Harvick. He knows that you know, even though they've got Kevin signed, I guess now through twenty twenty three, they know he's not going to be there forever, and they want to find somebody who can carry, you know, who can be uh, 
the the guy they can depend on to be winning year in and year out um, and be a championship favorite year in and year out for the next decade. And that's one of the reasons why they got rid of uh, Daniel Suarez. It wasn't that they didn't like Daniel, but they didn't see him as the as the young driver who could really make that really be that championship contender. And they're putting Cole in there to see if, if he can be that guy. And, uh, you know, and if, if they feel that they can sign Larson and that their other sponsors, you know, the associates who are on the other cars are okay with it, um, I think Larson will be there. Now, any other moves, whether it be with Stuart Haas, like Larson and Custer being flopped around, or Chase Briscoe maybe coming up, or an Xfinity driver coming up that people aren't expecting, or just a general move that you think could happen that's not really being talked about very much? Uh, well, I mean, I think you look at Reddick, and he's in his first year at RCR. The question is, could he move? I think you look at John Hunter Nemechek, who's done a lot of front row in his first year. Uh, you know, he certainly front row pretty much does only one year deals. So, well, could he be in play? I think you know, could Corey LeJoy be in play? I think those are the ones that you would look at uh, to make serious moves. I, um, you know, Chase Briscoe is is the one guy in Xfinity I think who potentially, uh, you know, could get a, a ride next year. You know, could Noah Gregson maybe, but uh, you know, I still think. Uh, some people um, want to see a little bit more out of Noah, um, just you know, both kind of on the track and off the track before they're convinced that he can uh, perform well on on the Cup side. Now, some of the younger guys, Reddick, Nemechek, and you just mentioned LaJoy. LaJoy had written the letter to Hendrick. You know, there was been rumors that he could end up with a higher tier ride, similar to the kind of rise that Dimendetto had last year. There's been the Reddick rumors, and then there's been Nemechek, who's been very good so far. Looking at Nemechek, Bell, and Reddick, of those three, how do you feel... Looking at their futures, who do you feel has the brightest of those three, and maybe even LaJoy, if you'd want to consider him as well in this? Wow, that's a that's a great question. Um, I, uh, I I feel like Reddick potentially has the has the brightest future because I just feel like he races the way a Lagana races, the way a Keselowski races. Um, the way Kyle Busch races in the sense of that he he doesn't really seem to care too much what other people think, and he's not going to get pushed around. Um, I, I I say that, but I you know you look at Bell and he's just a little bit older than the rest, and I think he'll, he'll be able to handle the disappointments better, maybe than the other two. And I think uh, Nemechek's kind of the the wild card there. Uh, because he, you know, he's certainly shown some, some, a little bit more promise in these first nine races than, than what a lot of people thought. He's, uh, putting the front row car in places that, uh, that you didn't really expect. Um, so I, I think the question will come, you know, can he do that on a consistent basis? And can he, um, you know, and then what happens, you know, once he has a, you know what? 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 What can he do with a uh, with a top ten car? We've we've seen him win races in other series, so you'd like to think he can win in Cup. But until you know he gets in, into that uh, into that scenario day in and day out, it remains to be seen. 
Now, just a few more questions here. With the transition NASCAR has undergone with some of their faces of the sport kind of heading out, with Gordon going to the booth, with now even rumors Boyer could end up in the booth as well, but looking at how Gordon left the sport, or not left the sport, but left the track, um, Johnson retiring, and, you know, Harvick, Bush, some of these other guys, you know, starting to get a little older, as NASCAR grooms more faces of the sport, if you had to say maybe three people right now that are the faces of NASCAR for the future and kind of with the veterans, who would you kind of pinpoint as three guys who are the faces of NASCAR? Uh, are we talking the young guys? Or you, or you, if, you're, if you're looking for a mix, I would say it's Logano, Chase Elliott, and Ryan Blaney. Hmm. And if it was... Because I mean, Logano's still young right he's what 30 years old or something yeah so uh so he's gonna be around for a little bit and i think uh elliot and blaney and then i mean if you think you would probably add bubba wallace in there too but you know he's you know right now he's still with the uh, under you know not the most well-funded team and uh you know so his performance numbers aren't going to be there now, Bob, talking a little more about you and your career, what does the future kind of look like for you with the sport and with writing as a whole? Where do you kind of want to go? Obviously, you had the transition from ESPN to Fox, but where is the future kind of look like for Bob Pockers? I don't think anybody can predict the future of the media. Um, <laughs> it's, uh, you know, I think that the, the future is... is is giving people information on the sport, and the question is, how do you do that? Do we do it through video? Do we do it through uh, you know, through videos on the website? Do you do it through video on social? Do you do it on writing on the website um, or, or writing on social? I think it uh, it all remains uh, to be seen. Um, content is people still want information and they want good content, and you know, and that's what I hope I can continue to provide. And you know, in what Form. I mean, if you if you asked me five years ago if I'd be on you know Fox Sports's pre-race show, I probably would have laughed at you. So it's hard for me to uh, predict where it'll go. Now, my final question for you is: when it's all said and done, and you do hang up your pen and paper and you call it quits, and you're done with your reporting, and honestly, your life as a whole, what do you want your legacy to be? Um, you know, I just want uh, people to believe that I was fair. You know, I mean, I think that's the, uh, you know, and that I um, was fair and honest. You know, I think that's uh, I think that's the most important thing for any of us and in the media is that you know is that we um, we're not never going to all agree or view things the same. But if we're you know if we're honest and if we uh, treat people fairly, which is mo- always more and more difficult. As you know, it used to be you could wait an hour or two before you know your newspaper deadline to 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 get information before you put it out there and is printed the next day. But now, you know everything is on social and it's it's uh, everything is kind of fluid and develops and you you don't always get to give the people the time you wish you could give them. But I think in the most part, you know, if you can be as fair as you can and uh, treat people uh, the way you want to be treated then uh, hopefully everything will work out. Ladies and gentlemen, he is the insider of NASCAR, one of the top NASCAR writers in the game. Thank you again for coming on, Bob. And before we close out, I do want to give you the opportunity to plug your social medias, plug Twitter, whatever you want to plug before we sign off here. 
Yeah, so uh, you can follow me on Twitter at, at Bob Pockris, all one word, same on, on Instagram, and then on the Facebook, it's Bob Pockris Fan. Ladies and gentlemen, one of the top writers in NASCAR, Bob Pockris. Thanks again, Bob. Hey, thank you, Dylan. I appreciate it. Appreciate the time. My thanks to Bob for coming on. It was really cool to sit down with him. I just dove into NASCAR reporting more in-depthly now at Empire Sports Media. You can go check that out on their site. So this was a cool conversation for me to kind of pick the brain of one of the smartest NASCAR writers in maybe history, honestly. He's really on tap with everything in sport like no other. In NFL, you have Adam Schefter and Ian Rappaport and all the other insiders. In NBA, you have Sham Sharina and Adrian Wojnarowski and Jeff Passan in baseball and so on and so forth. You have these insiders, and that's kind of what Bob is for the non-NASCAR fans. But he's the only one, really. So he has the all the scoops. So he is the biggest NASCAR reporter. So that kind of puts the gravity into this interview. And it was a really cool sit-down and excited for... His future, as for the upcoming episode, Thursday, I sat down with Lily Rice, a incredible human. She is a just incredible human. Just listen to the episode. If you don't haven't listened to an episode yet where you've heard somebody with an incredible story on the show talk about come, overcoming adversity and not been inspired, then listen to this one because this is one of the coolest stories I've ever had the privilege to get to hear and her father mark joined us as well and it was just an incredible conversation so tune into that one and yeah stay tuned for that episode thursday reminder you can listen wherever you listen to podcasts instagram is at ambitious podcast twitter at ambitious with deep key youtube ambitious with dylan price and just have a wonderful wednesday ambitious listeners and tuesday and whenever you're listening to this and tune in thursday for a new episode with lily rice have a good one